Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. One 1Password one keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours, I can't even count them all, is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I've been looking forward to for a while now. This is one I've been following and thinking about and planning for a very long time. This is a conversation with Tiago Forte. He is one of the world's foremost experts on productivity, and he's taught thousands of people around the world how timeless principles and the latest technology can merge to revolutionize their productivity, their creativity, personal effectiveness. He's got a brand new book out called Building a Second Brain, a proven method to organize your digital life and unlock your creative potential. And this is going into my top 10 productivity books of all time. This is one that I would not hold back on endorsing and referencing when people ask me for, hey, what's the next productivity book? What's the one I've got to check out? It's this one. This is the book that you need to get next. We talk about what a second brain is, and essentially it means that you're not holding all the information in your head. You've created a trusted system. Sound familiar? David Allen, Getting Things Done. And in fact, this book has been compared to David Allen's Getting Things Done very often recently as it has come out. It is all about picking the right tools, creating a second brain that's trusted, getting the stuff out of your head, organizing it, being able to go back and use it. We go through all the different steps that it has to do with in terms of capturing, organizing, distilling, and expressing all those thoughts and thinking more, thinking better because you have a tool in place, a second brain. Do not overlook this episode. This is a very important episode for productivity. So I'm going to get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Tiago Forte. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Tiago Forte. Tiago, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks, Eric. I have been listening for years, and I'm a big fan. It's really cool to be here. That's awesome. So that's the way to flatter somebody right there. Hey, I've been listening to your podcast. Podcasters especially like hearing that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I've been following you for a while, too. And, you know, you're in the productivity world as well. You have this brand new book out called Building a Second Brain. It's been highly anticipated. In fact, I actually know there was a joke out there somewhere. One of my friends on Twitter was saying, you know, hey, I need this, this and this and this. And I said, sounds like you need Tiago's new book coming out. And he said, actually, my friend already is like a super follower of him him and has been like coaching me through certain things. I'm like, okay, okay. I was just kind of playing around, but like you're being serious. So yeah, if you're in that, uh, in that niche, the algorithms know that you are interested in productivity. I think you're not going to be able to avoid hearing of it. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally true. And the thing is, is that, and, and I've heard this by other productivity people, they've said this kind of I don't know, analogy or, you know, there's a camaraderie, there's a symbiosis maybe of your book, Building a Second Brain, a proven method to organize your digital life and unlock your creative potential. I've heard people talk about and reference this book as a more modern version, in a sense, of getting things done. How do you feel about that? I mean, I'm happy with that framing. I'd be proud to make a fraction of the impact that GTD made. 
Yeah. Well, same here. And I think that's the thing is like, okay, so we're talking second brain. Obviously, that needs definition before we go much further. So let's talk about what is a second brain and then let's follow it up with why do we need one? I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean something to a lot of people. Now, productivity people, we've been kind of thinking about it for a long time and thinking, you know, back in the Evernote days where it just came out. Evernote's not got the same, I don't know, reputation they used to have, although they've been rebounding here and there, you know, in their whole mascot thing of an elephant that never forgets. This is not just dumping things into somewhere like Evernote and leaving it there. I'll let you explain it. So what is a second brain? Why do we need one? Yes. Okay. Let's start at the beginning. A second brain is my term for a system. It's a technology system that lives outside of your head. That's the important part. It's outside your brain and it's in the, in the concrete physical world. And it's a place where you put all of the information that matters most to you. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around how many different kinds of information that can include. It's simple things like, you know, to do's, reminders, things on your calendar, all the way to more, I'd say, creative or divergent or imaginative things like little snippets, you know, quotes you read in books or heard on podcasts. It could be imagery, photos, graphics, screenshots of websites. It could be examples of business case studies. It could be examples of, you know, design, examples of marketing headlines. It could be stories, it could be theories, frameworks. Like this kind of depends on, on the kind of work that you do. But whatever kind of work you do, think about the output that you produce. What is the thing at the end of all your day, the end of your week that you output? Well, whatever that output is, you also need inputs. You need fuel. You need creative raw material that becomes the building blocks, the, you know, the raw material for whatever it is you create. And your second brain is the repository where all those things live. So to go to David Allen, he actually has a quote. You actually use this quote in the book, in the beginning of the book. Your mind is for having ideas, not holding them. And I instantly resonated with this thought because I'd had pieces of it in the past not necessarily a a full-blown system, but at least a place where I was readily capturing things. Even before I knew what productivity was, I was, you know, a junior hire who was carrying around a little pocket kind of flip open notebook like you'd see a a reporter do in like old-timey movies or whatever, and pull out a clicky pen and just write something down and capture it. Now, capturing isn't the only piece. It's not just about, again, like I alluded to earlier, it's not just about capturing and throwing things away for later. Although that's part of it. Why do we need a second brain? Yes. Yeah. Great question. And I I encourage people, you know, just a little disclaimer, this world of second brain building, also known as PKM, which stands for personal knowledge management, can so easily become a kind of infinite like rabbit trail where you sort of lose yourself (laughs) in endless kind of optimizing and trying out different apps and kind of reorganizing and reorganizing again, it can become kind of an unhealthy obsession. And so I'm always kind of warning people away from that first. But second, everything that I talk about is about actionability. And this is really the answer to your question. There are reasons to collect content for its own sake. You know, think of journaling. Like there are benefits to writing things down in the first place, which is fine. But what I'm really focused on is a different kind of benefit, which is how you're able to take action, better action, more effective action, faster action, more powerful leveraged action because of the content in your second brain. So for some people, that means making better decisions, right? If you're an executive, a senior leader, what if you could increase the quality of your decisions by 20%? That seems hard. How do you just increase the quality of your decisions? Well, I found in my own business, it depends on my inputs. I just need to collect better examples. I need to talk to people in my industry. I need to find, you know, case studies of people who made a similar decision and either had success or failure. So you can think about decision making. You can think about project management. You can think about creative work, writing, designing, painting, music. You can think about efficiency, making systems more efficient, making them more user-friendly. I think the diversity of kinds of ways you can use the contents in your second brain is so wide that that actually is a challenge in itself. You have to find like one concrete example that really means something to you, which is why I'm kind of always just touching on as many examples as I can. But that one first use case is likely different for each person. 
like as a first use case, there's also in the term thrown around quick win. Yes. Again, to go back to David Allen, it's this whole trusted system. A system's one thing. A trusted system, one that you're actually going to put stuff in and use, is really the key. The linchpin is that trust. And so someone wants to know, okay, I'm going to build a second brain. Okay, I kind of get the why behind it. But now I need to know not just the how to do it, but the fact of how do I build it slash then how do I use it? Like how a second brain works, in other words. You need trust to trust the system, but then that trust kind of folds in on itself and compounds, you know, like interest in builds. That's an angle that I think not a lot of people appreciate is like trust. Trust is a very personal thing. It's not a formula. It's not just follow these three steps. You know, think about people you trust. It takes time. It takes having some shared experiences, takes really seeing that person's character, seeing, you know, who they are under fire or who they are under stress or who they are when you're under stress, when you're in in crisis. And I kind of, in a funny way, I guess this is appropriate. I see my second brain as a person. Mm. It has ideas. It has, sometimes I almost think it has feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're not, you know, downloading an app is one thing, but that's the equivalent to like meeting someone at a bar. Okay, it's a good first contact. It doesn't mean you have a trusted system. It takes some some working with it. It takes some experiences. It takes time. And that's, by the way, why I wrote a book and have a course. It's like there is a process here. There's a process of personalizing your second brain, customizing it, trying out different experiments. You know, one way of using a second brain might work fantastically well for me or for someone, but for might fall completely flat for you. So you have to find your own relationship to it. Mm. Yeah. Well, okay. So you just described the building of it and the learning to trust it and that it's a process. It's not something that's instantaneous for a lot of people out there, like with all these other productivity, not just productivity system, but tool. They hesitate to start in yet another tool because they don't want to spend time. In other words, one of the bogged down things of productivity is the setting up of the thing instead of the actual doing of the work, right? So it's not just building a second brain. It's what benefit does it give me? It does the reward, in other words, trade off on the time that I've spent investing in the creating of the second brain. Gosh, this is such a good point. This is one of those things. I wish I could flip a switch and have just everyone understand this. I think you only understand it when you go through this process of like over-engineering, over-optimizing, over-organizing, over-collecting. You have to kind of feel the pain of that and how pointless much of it is. Because yeah, yeah, you're totally right. It's like setting up your productivity systems is the most dangerous form of procrastination. It is the most tempting pitfall because it feels like productivity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does, Right. Like it feels very justifiable. It feels rewarding. Even you're, you're getting set up. You're creating the perfect environment. You're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. It, it feels like you are increasing your odds of success. The thing about it is these are just the intermediate steps, right? Just because you do the intermediate steps does not mean that the final outcome is going to be more successful. And I would even say in this world we live in that is faster moving than ever, more uncertain than ever, like windows of opportunity that we're faced with open and close so fast in days, weeks, sometimes that the biggest danger now is actually not having the right productivity system. The biggest danger is just not acting. It's not having the decisiveness, not just taking action when the opportunity arises. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond this episode is brought to you by shopify Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I want to jump into the superpowers of a second brand because I think those are really the convincing bullet list, if there is one, for not just the why, but the long-term investment, what that payout ends up being. And I think it also helps people relate in a sense as to some of the benefits they've experienced in previous kind of endeavors when it comes to either like journaling or capturing or other productivity related topics like those, because like, for example, first, one of the superpowers of the second brain, making our ideas concrete. In other words, externalizing something, getting it out of your head, right? I mean, this is the whole David Allen thing is like your, your quote of his was saying, your mind is for having ideas, not for holding them. Well, we're overloaded with data. So if we're trying to hold that in our brains at all times, like I do have And I'm willing to let it go, but I have a ton of useless information about which actors have played which roles in what things. And yes, I'm constantly on IMDb because I'm always curious, but I'm willing to let it go. I know that it's out there in IMDb and I trust that system. (laughs) It's a really kind of weird metaphor here for this or analogy. But what I'm saying is by externalizing it, much like, say, journaling, you get it out of your head. And that can be thoughts, that can be feelings, that can be whatever. And you can go back and you can even reread those and make connections. And, you know, if time has passed and it's been a year, I actually did this recently. I looked back at a journal entry from a year ago last summer and I thought, oh my gosh, I've come so far and yet not in other ways. But to be able to like acknowledge that is some of the, the superpower. So, you know, getting back to, there are four superpowers of the second brain and one of them is making ideas concrete from externalizing things. Do you have more thoughts on that specific bullet? And then let's talk about the other three, because I think convincing somebody as to the investment on a second brain really stems from these superpowers. Yeah, I think so. I do have many thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) You have a whole book of them and more. Yeah. Yeah. But even more than was included there, you know, the book is always just like the 10% that didn't get cut. Gosh, I think this is so underrated. It's so underrated. Even We've been told, you know, oh, you should journal, you should, you know, even like cognitive behavioral therapy is a lot about like externalizing your thoughts. We still have not fully discovered the power of getting the ideas and thoughts in our head, which when they're there are jumbled and messy and confronting and triggering and anxiety provoking and just very unclear. They're just sort of like these vague clouds of thoughts getting them out of our head. You know, this is the original technological revolution known as writing (laughs) (laughs) that we are still grappling with the impact of it, you know, millennia later in our personal lives. There's some fascinating studies. I think I cited them in my book that just the act of writing things down, like let's start just right there. Let's say you don't even save them. Yes. 
just the act of writing it down in that very moment, there is a lot of evidence that it improves your mental health, your physical health, your blood pressure, your ability. They, they did studies on people who had been laid off, their ability to get a new job, their ability to survive personal crises, all these different impacts just from writing it down, even if no one, including themselves, ever read what they had written down. Yeah, it's just that benefit of externalizing thing. And in fact, that's why I love podcasting so much, you know, confession. I love talking out loud, getting it out in front of not just other people like you here listening and others, you know, listening to this file weeks from now. I like hearing myself. I like hearing myself talk. No, it does. It's worse than that. It's, it's, it's better than that. I should say, uh, it comes down to sometimes I've got to externalize it verbally and then listen back to it. And then I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know I thought that consciously, right? Until I externalized exactly. it and could turn it around, you know, metaphorically in my hands or on paper or digitally. That's just one of the benefits here is just get it out of your head so you can actually work with it. Now, that's not to say you're not using your brain to work with it, but now it doesn't just live in your brain. Yes, exactly. Only when it's outside your head can you start to do things like analyze it, evaluate it objectively, not just subjectively within your own mind. You can improve it. You can edit it. It's almost like editing your thoughts and not to mention other benefits. Like you can share it. You can get feedback on it. You can, you know, show it to someone else and sort of meld their thinking with your thinking and make it greater than anything either of you could have come up with by yourselves. There's a kind of magic that happens when you externalize, when you express something out into the world, it takes on a life of its own. And once it has a life of its own, it can learn, it can grow, it can improve, it can expand. None of this is really possible as long as it's stuck in your head. Well, one of the other key pieces then is that as you're externalizing it and you can see it, you start to see connections either to things that you've already been thinking about or things that are going to come down the pike later that you're not even aware of are coming, but because you've externalized this and then in turn externalize something else, there's an association, almost a mind mapping, but you have to have it outside of your brain in order to, to start to see those lines connect. Absolutely. That's what it is. There's two other ones. One is incubation, or I like to call this crockpot thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's not microwave thinking. It's not even oven thinking. It's crockpot. You, you set it up and then it, you let it sit there all day. And then when you come back at the end, all the ingredients are melded together into something amazing. So exactly. It's the slow burn for ideas instead of food. Yes. Yes. And both are welcome. Yeah. And then the last superpower is this idea that by one, externalizing things, two, seeing the connection between those ideas and seeing those ideas grow and morph and become curated and or polished over time, you end up with your own perspective that is, you know, sharper, more clarity driven. Exactly. Yeah. What was the the wording that I used in the book? Remind me. Um, sharpening your unique perspective. I oh, yes. Close to what, yeah. what it is. Sorry. My, my first brain has atrophied because <laughs> I, I depend so much on my. <laughs> yeah. This, I think, is the last one because it's kind of the most subtle is we feel like, I mean, when you go online, especially, you're just awash in other people's perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. Like every time you log on and you just get pummeled from every direction. <laughs> Uh, uh, by the opinions, the ta- the hot takes, you know, the the perspectives of all these people, many of whom you don't know, don't care about, many of whom are not qualified or are disqualified, many of whom are just spouting off what they thought last minute. There's little consideration, little kind of self-reflection. And so it's easy, to, I think, to kind of just like, it's kind of like stepping out into a blizzard. You just kind of accept that you're just going to be pummeled from all sides by opinions. But I think what's, what's hard to and important to grasp is that your perspective matters. You know, your perspective, your collection of life experiences, the things you've seen and done and experienced and felt and learned give you a point of view. Maybe it's a point of view on the world. Maybe it's a point of view on your industry. Maybe it's the point of view on your organization or your team, or at least just about your own work in your own life that no one else has. No one else shares. Google can't provide. 
you know, that same perspective. And that is largely the value that we offer as professionals. You know, like it used to be about having specific specialized knowledge. It's not really about that anymore. All knowledge is basically democratized. So what does a actual living, breathing human being contribute now that everything is public, everything is open source practically? It's a way of thinking. It's like an algorithm. It is a lens that they are able to put up to the world and make decisions, take actions, discover insights that no machine, not yet at least, is able to see. And I think the thing is, is that, you know, we we hear a lot of talk where people are like, you know, they hesitate to start a blog or to start a business or, or start a podcast because they think somebody else is already out there talking about not just on that medium that I want to do it on. They're talking about the exact same topic that I want to talk about. And this is a way to have a path forward and create that thing and kickstart that whatever it is with your own unique perspective because you've taken the time to capture and externalize and then create new associations and let things incubate, but then you've sharpened your unique perspective and then it truly is unique. Even if you're doing a spin on something somebody else has already done, it's uniquely you. Exactly. And it's always a spin. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. <laughs> no one has ever come up with anything original since, you know, 2000 BC. Everything is a, is a spinoff or a remix. I, I tend to use that term. This idea, originality is really overvalued. The ideas that actually are successful, that actually make an impact are not original ones. They're ones that are just a little tweak, a little spin off of something that already exists. There's something else here that I, I really want people to to get. I think sometimes people say, oh, the second brain thing, or I don't know, just all this software for like content, you know, management and content creation. That's, that's great for bloggers and podcasters and YouTubers, you know, the, the online creators of the world. And it is, I mean, definitely good for them. But what I think people don't understand is the online creators are just the forefront of what everyone is going to be doing or is already doing in the next few years. You know, if you are giving presentations to a team at work, what do you think that is? That's content that you created. If you are, you know, writing internal memos, if you're writing like long emails that explain something or teach something or tell a story or make a pitch or are persuasive, that is all content creation. That's all any of us are doing is creating content and sending it through various means to various people to try to influence them. So given that all knowledge workers are virtually all content creators, don't you think you could do that better? Could that content be more effective? Could it be more succinct? Could it be more convincing? I mean, I really think all people who work on computers and even beyond that need to think about what is their point of view? What is their opinion? How are they going to influence others to take on that point of view? That's the future of, of work. And people may be familiar with this concept without knowing it. They may be familiar with a flavor of this that's been around for a very long time as referred to as the commonplace book. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I'm a huge fan of history. I think a lot of people open this book thinking, oh, a second brain. I'm going to hear about a lot of futuristic, you know, artificial intelligence, sci-fi stuff. And instead, most of the book is history. I think the history is is informative. It tells us what has come before. Like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. So when I was researching this book and the course that came before it, I wanted to know what has come before. What did human beings do in other periods of history where they faced information overload, where they faced a tremendous amount of change and uncertainty? And it turns out I was surprised. I was amazed to hear there's such a close parallel that happened a couple hundred years ago, which is in the early years of the Industrial Revolution, you know, 18th, 19th centuries, some even as far back as the 17th century, intellectuals and people who were influential during the, as far back as the Renaissance with Leonardo da Vinci, but more so during the Enlightenment and Industrial Revolution, they would keep these books called commonplace books. They were like collages. They were like scrapbooks, but for making sense of the world. They would write in little quotes from books that they read or things they heard in conversation. They would put, you know, a drawing of something from nature, a newspaper clipping, a leaf that they found. It was this kind of place that was fully under their control, you know, that wasn't the government or the church or some external institution telling them what to do. A private, personal place where they made the rules and they could put in whatever they wanted to put in there to make sense of their world. 
And it's so telling to me and illuminating that we are now finding ourselves in the same place with the same desire to have a personal sense-making tool, except now we have, you know, these godlike powers with technology that we can do it more easily. We can do it faster. We can do it in a way that accelerates our careers and our businesses. It's really just the whole circle coming back around to the same place. There you go. That's the kind of Evernote analogy there. I think that, again, it goes way beyond that. In fact, you know, it goes beyond just capturing because you can't just capture. You can't just, you know, as I alluded to before, Evernote got a bad rap because a lot of people would just dump things into it. And yeah, you can search through there, which is a benefit of digital over analog, unless you've got a really good organizational system for analog. In fact, I like doing kind of a capturing brain dump you know, go to a coffee shop, sit there and sip on coffee and have just a legal pad and just a physical pen or pencil and do that. But the problem is, is you probably want to not just capture it, but then put it into something. So I think we we probably should move into the phase of, you know, okay, I'm sold. I hear the superpowers. They're awesome. I've done maybe flavors of this in the past, but how do I get started with what Tiago is saying in terms of actual execution of not just creation, but maintaining of a second brain. Yes, that is the question. You know, I have a YouTube video that kind of walks people through this thing that I recommend, which is the 30 day experiment. Give it 30 days, 30 days to test some of my claims. <laughs> and essentially I'll, I'll kind of summarize the main gist of it is boot up download, open whatever notes app you are either already use or already have. The amazing thing is you can just very much use the built-in default notes app on your phone or your tablet or your computer. On iOS, that's Apple Notes. Android has different ones depending on which version of Android you use. But that's the incredible thing is virtually every one of the several billion devices in the world has some way to take notes. So you can just start right there. Perfect. What I would recommend people do is to just create a few just basic notes, one for your to-dos, right? You don't need in the beginning a dedicated task manager if you have no experience with this. Just have, it could just be a single note where you just write a little list of half a dozen or a dozen things you have to do. That's already externalizing, right? Second, you want to create a note for ideas. Right. Eventually you can use my Paris system and have different categories and a whole workflow for this. But I'm telling you, just put my claims to the test. Just do a little experiment. Have one note where when an idea occurs to you, you just write it down. You can also set up things like Siri to work with your notes or different voice assistants or different mobile operating systems have these things like these little workflow apps where you can add like a widget to the lock screen to make it a little bit easier. So you don't have to like go all the way into your phone and open up the app. It does take a little bit of setup to find just two or three of the easiest ways to capture. But just start with a couple of notes like that. Things to do and ideas. Capture them over the course of a month. See if you already start to feel this lightening of the, of the mental load, right? Most people, if this is something that they are interested in that fits with them, already start to feel more clarity, more peace of mind. They don't feel as stressed. They start to basically rely on this tool as an extension of their brain, which it is, which frees up space in their first brain to just either be more present or be more relaxed or finish work a little bit earlier. The way that you cash out those benefits depends on you. But I think what makes all the second brain stuff so promising is that it's not like, okay, spend six months or a year doing all this difficult, heavy labor, and then one day you'll get the benefits. Like we were talking about before, the benefits begin immediately. They begin the second that you start writing. And so I say start from there and then just expand as much as and to whatever extent it makes sense for you. Obviously, it goes beyond just capturing. It goes into organizing. What kind of organizational processes? Obviously, it's got to suit the person and we're all unique. But uh, what are some of the different ways that you suggest people start to organize what they've captured? Yeah, yeah, good. So I have this methodology. It's code, C-O-D-E, which stands for kind of the four stages that ideas that you capture move through. The C is capture, O is organize, D is distill, E is express. So you're totally right. I tend to encourage novices to capture, just see what it's like to save things. But then you're totally right. They reach this point where they've sort of amassed <laughs> a big steaming pile of notes. And they're like, what do I do with this? And that's where the O comes in, the second stage. 
And I have a, a framework for this called PARA, which stands for P-A-R-A, which is Projects, Areas, Resources, Archives, which is actually the single most kind of easy to adopt and popular thing that I've written about in my whole career. And it's a very simple, but also actionable way of organizing actually any kind of information. You can use it to organize your notes app, but also the, the power of it is that it, it's based on a fundamental principle that applies everywhere. So you can use it to organize your Google Drive, the documents folder on your computer, even project management apps. I've seen people organize their calendar this way, their email. It's like if you ever wanted just one organizing system for your entire digital life, that is Para. And what Para does is have you organize things not as people usually do erroneously by these huge categories, right? Like people will tend to say they'll have a notebook or a folder with like business or like ideas or quotes or, you know, like basically organizing things in these giant buckets that are so big that think about in the future when you have just a little bit of time in between meetings and you're going in to retrieve something, you don't have time to search through potentially dozens, hundreds of notes in a gigantic folder called like psychology or something. What you do have time for is to go into a folder that's organized for one single project. And this is the P in para, which is the most important part. Create one notebook or folder or tag or whatever it's called in your app for each active project, which is inherently limited, by the way. No human being really has more than 5, 10, maybe 12 or 15 active projects at any given time. And then when you go and save content from either your inner thoughts or the outer world, just ask one question about where to put it, which is what active project is this most relevant to? That's all you can afford, actually, is just answering one question per note. And I think the most important question is, how am I going to put this into action, which most often is in a project? Got it. Okay. That's a great question. The thing is, is that we're not asking that question. We're literally just, oh, save that for later, save that for later, or, you know, read it later type things. That's why those kinds of, you know, you're scrolling through social and you hit read it later Send it to my read it later app, whatever that is. Instapaper was one of the popular ones for a long time. Pocket even. But the thing is, is that we end up throwing so many things in there that it's like, well, we don't end up doing anything with it, honestly, because we didn't organize it as we threw it in there. For example, (laughs) one of the things that we try to do with our recycling in our closet upstairs with our kitchen is we've got different buckets in that closet. And so you have to ask the question, wait, this is an aluminum can. So which bucket does this go in? By having quick, simple, easy choices, you look at your hand, what is it? Throw it in. It goes into the appropriate bucket. That way, the sorting part of things is already done to a certain extent. There's still more to do in the garage before we take it to the recycling center. But still, that first step gets us thinking in the right direction. Exactly. I love metaphors that come from physical organizing because they're so concrete, right? The problem with digital stuff is it's also abstract. Yes. So yeah, it's like, what do you do? You, you sort of move things around the house. I almost think of them as like little staging areas, right? It's like, you know, something as simple as your hamper, right? You don't, every time you take a shirt off that now needs to be washed, trek out to the garage or whatever, the laundry room to like individually place each sock in there. That would be very inefficient. (laughs) You have a staging area called a hamper where you can quickly collect, make that one decision, which is, is this dirty or not? Throw it in the hamper. Then at a separate time, you sort of batch process. So you unmask, bring down or pick up this whole hamper and move it all at once to the washing machine. And then you go through the, you know, the, the workflow of washing it. But we do this all over the house and all over our lives when it comes to physical stuff. But then in the digital world, suddenly we're like, uh, what are the staging areas? What are the things that I'm trying to collect in one place? What are the workflows? Suddenly it's like a complete free for all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love that metaphor to take it even one step further is because then it's based on your unique needs, wants, perspectives, et cetera, as to when and how long you're going to do the sorting of that laundry. If that's a, hey, daily, I have all the kids just go and take the baskets down and sort them real quick, and it takes them 30 seconds, and they feel like it's not a chore because it's so light of a touch, time commitment-wise, so that's your daily. Or is it a weekly where it's like, oh, once a week, all the baskets get taken down And, you know, there's exceptions to this, obviously, where it's like, oh, right now I need that shirt. It's in that hamper that's in that thing. That's, you know, you go and run and do that and you pull it out and find it much like a piece of information that, you know, you've got somewhere hidden away, captured. 
But, you know, you've got your weekly where it's like everything gets gathered and it takes maybe a little bit longer. But again, much better to do at minimum on a weekly basis than say, can you imagine doing laundry on a monthly basis once a month and how big of a daunting chore, right? It's a big daunting chore. But that's not to say that there's not still room for unique monthly or even quarterly type of, hey, let's just make sure everything's in its right place. My brain is just kind of spinning here in terms of my first brain by the way. It's so great. It's true. Th- think about it. There's like a whole stress. <laughs> this is very f- funny, but there's a whole strategy around like laundry that you can do once you're doing this kind of staging ground thing, you can change the frequency, right? I know when I'm uh, getting ready to go on a trip, like the days before the trip, I don't want to wake up the morning of that. I need to head to the airport and have like three, a backlog of three loads of laundry, right? Because usually something that I want to pack is in somewhere in there. So I'll start uh, doing the laundry more frequently when a trip is approaching. On the other hand, when I'm, say, writing a super in-depth piece or when I was writing my book, those cycles would get long. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's a conscious decision I can make. I can proactively say, you know what? I'm going to basically increase the batch sizes and reduce the frequency of this particular, you know, process in my life to free up time. Now, there's going to be a trade-off, which I will expect, which is I'm going to have to, I don't know, wear things more times than I otherwise would, or start wearing the things in my wardrobe that I don't like so much, you know, like going down to the uh, stuff that rarely gets used. But, you know, that's fine. That's a conscious trade-off I've made. Now, obviously, this goes beyond just capturing and organizing. You mentioned code, the acronym code. So it's capturing, organizing, distilling, and expression or expressing distilling. I mean, the organizing piece we've, we're kind of touching on here where it's part the the organizing is ideally slightly addressed in the capturing, the initial capturing. But the distilling, I think, is that more of a, a weekly or monthly process for you? So this is a perfect segue. It's interesting because each of the four letters of the code happen at a different cadence. They actually have different rules or principles. Like, let's just take each one. Capture is is in the moment, right? You can't be like, at the end of the month, let me capture all the things that I thought about this month because they're gone, right? So that is like one at a time, small batches right when it happens. Organize now is different because once once it's saved in some place outside your head, you don't need to get to, to that right away. I tend to do it every week or two weeks. I'll basically go through my Evernote inbox and just make one decision, uh, you know, that we mentioned about each one, which is where does this go in my para system? Now, distill is yet another principle. Distilling takes work. Distilling is hard. You actually have to read, you know, content, think about it, which is always the most taxing thing to do, <laughs> and then make decisions even more taxing. This point matters. This part doesn't matter so much. Like the highlighting and the annotating and the sort of you know, adding discoverability to that note, which is what distilling is, takes some real cognitive effort, which is why my advice is to not do it on any kind of regular basis, not do it daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly. Instead to wait, wait until you have a practical use case, right? Like let's say you've captured, you know, half a dozen notes inside a folder related to a piece of writing that you're going to be doing. Wait until you're getting ready you're basically setting yourself up to do that writing and only then distill those six sources, right? Which, by the way, is the perfect way to prepare for writing anyway. You want to load up that context into your brain so it's all kind of at your mental fingertips. And so basically, when the answer to when to distill is as late as possible and only when you're getting ready to create something. Got it. Obviously, then the, the final component or the final letter is E for express. How does that factor in? So express is even kind of a little more, it depends because it depends completely on the kind of work that you do, right? Like what is the cadence at which you need to express? If you're a journalist who has a deadline every other week, then that's basically built into your schedule. You don't have much choice. Other people have way more autonomy in when they can express. For some people, it's every day. You know, they might need to, I don't know, run a training every day or come up with an agenda for a meeting almost every day. So you have to kind of match it to the the specific outcomes and results you're trying to create. The good news is you can express on any frequency that you want if, only if you have the previous three steps done. If you have this kind of repository of ready-made, ready-to-go building blocks, almost like Legos. You know, imagine you have to give a presentation in a few days and you have to start with a blank slide. 
like, you know how terrifying this is? You're just like, okay, first slide. Uh, what should I say? It's, it's so terrifying. It's so hard. Instead, what if you could just go through a few of your folders, a few of your tags and see imagery and other slides you've used in the past and ideas from other people's slide presentations and facts and statistics and stories. And you could start that slide presentation by just amassing and pulling together this kind of collection of pre-existing ideas and just kind of remix them in different ways rather than starting from nothing. That's what a second brain is about. We all need that. I want to circle back around to the PARA acronym as well. We talked a little bit about project and areas and resources and archives. How do those fit in for you in terms of this code process? Yes, absolutely. So remember that para is primarily about storage, right? You place things in a a certain place within a project, within an area, which is just like projects begin and end, right? It has a, a starting point and an ending point. Areas are more like parts of your life that you have to manage ongoingly. So your finances, your health, the different responsibilities you have at work. That's the A, the first A in para. R is for resources, which is things that are neither part of projects or areas, but they just kind of find interesting or potentially useful. And then archives is everything in cold storage. So this is like your, it's like your digital filing cabinet. It's the, the places in your digital world where things go. But then what code is about? Code is about action. Every step of code is moving an idea or a piece of content to completion. So basically, when it's time to distill, right, which is the letter after O for organize, the way that you're choosing what to distill is just looking at para, looking at the the four kind of main buckets where you have everything, and then kind of diving into each of the little categories that are most relevant for the task at hand. It might be a project for the specific thing you're working on, but it could be an area or a resource or even the archive. So it's kind of like, imagine Para as this wall, this giant bulletin board of all the things that you could look at and touch. But then what do you do? You walk up to the board, walk up to the wall, pick two or three things off the wall, take them over to the desk and start taking action on them. That's the difference between Para, which is for storage and code, which is for taking action. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause I want to make sure that even as metaphorical or analogy driven as we've been, that there's a clear practical kind of line here to, again, like you just said, storage as well as action. Because if we can't act, then what's the point? It's just, again, us throwing all this stuff into Evernote that we'll never touch. Exactly. Well, the thing is, is that we've barely scratched the surface. I mean, it may feel like, well, we've covered the whole book. No. We haven't. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> honestly, you need to get the book. This, I mean, this is one of the top productivity books that I, I mean, this is easily now in my top 10. You know, people ask me, hey, what productivity book should I grab? This is in my top 10 in terms of if they don't already have it, it's definitely a suggested purchase and read. So, but I'd love to Thank get you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I want to get people connected to where you're at. You're very one active slash prolific on Twitter. That's a great place to follow you. I'll link to that. Yes. And then also to your site and to the course, as well as the book anywhere else. Yeah. You know, for all second brain things, people can go to building which is separate from our main business website there. You can find not just the book and all the places you can buy it. And not just our course, which we teach a few times a year, but all the free content, the YouTube channel. We do a lot of videos on second brain stuff, the blog posts, the podcast. There's really kind of a second brain universe, much of which is free, that I encourage people to use to just get a taste of this stuff and see if it's for them. Perfect. Yeah, there's a lot out there to dip your toes into and get a taste and a flavor for this. And again, like we said earlier, 30 days trial and you'll see the benefits, even just from capturing. We're not even talking about like organizing and and working with the stuff, but that unlocks it even more so. That like 10Xs it and more. You build a second brain, which is a one-time, relatively short-term project, actually. But then there's working with your second brain, which is a long-term area that there's no limit to how much you can learn about it, improve it, and leverage it over time. Seriously, go grab the book. It's so, so, so worth it. I am committed to kind of, you know, revamping slash pulling together the pieces of this that I've done in the past and the remnants of that and the wake of it, the aftermath of it, and making it work more so than ever before. Because again, I've been overloaded. I've been overwhelmed trying to hold things in my brain. And and I've learned over time, like I'm always better. I always perform better and feel better 
capturing and then having that stuff ready to work with. The working with it stuff is really the missing piece more so for me personally, confession-wise. So don't feel like you're alone in that if you've tried different aspects of this before. Start again. Start again with this. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And thank you. Tiago, it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. And hopefully this is just the first of many appearances on the show moving forward. I hope so. Thank you so much, Eric. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Tiago Forte. I loved talking with him. Obviously, he will be back on the show at some point before he ever writes the next book, whatever that is. This is an important milestone in terms of productivity because the second brain is something that has been coming for a long time in terms of getting stuff out of our head, having the digital tools to track and sync it, to organize it, and then to distill it and express it, using it in different ways, organizing, archiving, all of those good things that need to happen to get the stuff from your work and your life off your mind so that you can really live so you can stop thinking about that work stuff while you're not working or stop worrying about life stuff when you're trying to really live your life. This is the answer. So make sure to pick this book up. I've linked up to it in the show notes. You can also click through on the show notes here at beyondthetodolist.com to connect with Tiago on Twitter. He's prolific there. Also, don't forget to check out short cast episodes of Beyond the To-Do List. They are about seven to 10 minutes. They are quick, short bursts of productivity from past episodes in the archive. You can find out more and try those for free over at beyondthetodolist.com slash Blinkist. If you loved this episode like I did, consider sharing it. Do that favor for me. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice. Share it with that person you know needs to hear this episode. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for listening. And I will see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.